If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and uh, open them up to two places, uh, Acts chapter 17 and Romans chapter 1. Acts chapter 17 and Romans chapter 1. And also have your Trinity hymnal handy. We'll be there as well, uh, looking at the Apostles' Creed on page um, 845. As we turn now to God's word, let's turn to him once again in prayer and ask his blessing upon our time. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, uh, this is our Father's world. And Father, we are grateful that even though the wrong seems oft so strong, that you are the ruler yet. And Father, you rule through your word and by your spirit. And so we pray that both your word and spirit would be operative now, giving us growing understanding of your word, what, who you are and what you ask of your people. We pray, Father, that um, we would not be men and women and boys and girls that hear your word and then, as in looking in a mirror and uh, turn around and forget what we look like, but no, we would remember your word, and we would put it into practice. Be pleased now, Father, to grow your people in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, our focus this morning will be on what I think can be seen to be a bold, strong, counter cultural statement. I mean, some people would even say an arrogant statement. And, but without question, this statement is going to swim upstream in a downstream world. Our confession of faith, as you know, we are a confessional church uh, for the PCA in general, for the grace and peace in particular. We have the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's our doctrinal standards. It's what we believe the scriptures teach. And the, the Westminster Confession of Faith speaks of creation. Chapter 4, I believe, in the confession speaks of of creation. And also our larger catechism and our shorter catechism have questions and answers that deal with creation. Here, we're going to start, though, with the first catechism, the children's catechism, kind of an update of the old 1800s children's catechism. And children, I'm going to need your help, because as we mentioned, the creed has got to start somewhere. Well, this catechism has to start somewhere as well. And again, this is going to deal with that bold, strong, countercultural statement that we, the church, make. So children, I need your help. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. Right. The first three questions and answers of the first catechism have to do with God, the maker, the creator, and us, those he has made, his creatures. That will be our focus today as we continue to explore the Apostles' Creed in Christian. What do you believe? An exposition of the Apostles' Creed. Now, why now? Why are we doing this now? As I've been saying, it's to counter widespread ignorance and confusion as to what is the Christian faith. 
No creed but Christ and no book the Bible, no book but the Bible. They appear to be reasonable statements. But just a little bit of further reflection leads us to ask questions. Well, what do you believe the Bible says about Jesus, about salvation, about sin, about everlasting life, about heaven, about hell? Creeds, Latin, credo, I believe, while they are subordinate to and under the authority of the Bible, they are vitally important as they serve to organize and to summarize the scriptures and to help us understand what we believe the Bible teaches about any number of subjects. Now, for the past three weeks, we have looked first at the need for a common creed. We looked at the history the structure and the content. We saw that the creed is a systematic theology. It organizes and summarizes the Bible. And we saw that uh, the creed is useful. And in the second message was entitled, Just Two Words. And we saw that I believe, which is repeated three times in the creed, doesn't mean That we have faith in faith, but rather we have faith in the faith. We believe, we trust, we, we have faith in the faith that was once delivered for all the saints as we read in Jude chapter 1 verse 3. I believe two simple words, but words that are life changing and life shaping. They make the difference. They really do make the difference between life and death. The Apostles' Creed serves to help keep the church faithful to the faith by helping the church stay anchored in the harbor of God's Word. And to the degree that the Apostles' Creed uh, accurately and faithfully organizes and summarizes the teaching of Scripture, it serves as an anchor. It prevents drift out into the open sea where anything goes. It prevents running aground on the rocks and the faith, as it were, being shipwrecked. Now, we've been seeing that there are benefits, great benefits to using the Apostles' Creed regularly in corporate worship. The Creed helps promote personal humility. We realize that we are not the end-all, be-all. We are just part of the long history of God's people who confess faith in Jesus Christ. So it promotes personal humility. It serves also to both commend the faith, to positively promote the faith to others as well as ourselves, and it also helps to defend the faith against enemies both out there, foreign, and in here, domestic. And finally... Even though we say, I believe, I believe, I believe, by saying it together, the church, the creed helps to promote the unity of the church. This is what we believe. Last week, as we began the doctrinal statements of the creed with God the Father Almighty, we confessed that we believe in the one true and living God as he's made himself known in the world and in his word We confessed faith that we believe that God has made himself known as Father. And we took a look at at that being a reference to the Trinity, being a reference to creation as creator and redeemer. And then we looked at Father being both Jesus' Father and our Father. 
And then we confess that we believe that God is almighty over all. He is the sovereign ruler. He rules the world. And as I believe I mentioned last week, J.I. Packer says that this is not a theme for controversy. Rather, it's a matter of worship. And when we confess that we believe in God the Father Almighty, there is great comfort and great confidence for us to live in a sinful and fallen world. The Apostles' Creed, the first part, has to do with I believe in God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Now turn with me to Acts 17. We were there last week as a good um, place to begin this, this exposition of God the Father. We saw last week that Paul found himself in Athens, and we pick up reading uh, in verse 23. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. And he goes on, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul will go on to use this as a call to repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. But what we see here is a great text that supports both God being God the Father Almighty and today, as we will see, maker of heaven and earth. Because here Paul brings together the aspect of the one who makes the world and everything in the world is the one who rules the world. The maker of heaven and earth is supported from Acts chapter 17. Well, the Bible, as you heard, starts with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And later in that same first chapter, in verses 26 and 27, we read these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then verse 27 kind of repeats it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Well, that expression, heaven and earth, is a Hebrew expression, a Hebrew idiom, a Hebrew figure of speech that means everything 
heaven and earth. And as you saw in the preparing for worship email, I believe I, I said that this idea of God, the maker of heaven and earth, is of extreme practical value. We see in Psalm 121 and Psalm 124 that our help is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Well, going forward, I want us to now go to Romans chapter 1, which you heard read earlier that was begun in verse 16 through verse 25, but I want to highlight a few things. What we see, first of all, and I apologize for not getting the outline in there before it went to print, the first main point, if you want to take away one thing, is this. There is an unmistakable and inescapable distinction between the creator and the creation. Again, there is an unmistakable and inescapable distinction between the creator and the creation. In chapter 1 of Romans, beginning in verse 18, I like to refer to it as the chapter that speaks of suppressing the truth and exchanging the truth. Look with me at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So there you have a characteristic of, of wicked, rebellious man suppressing the truth. Then, if you'll turn with me to the beginning of verse 25, we read this. Well, I'll go ahead and start with 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Here, you've got the suppression of the truth and then the exchange of the truth. And that exchange is believing the lie. The believing the lie of who God is and who man is. Verse 25 again. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. There's a distinction between creator and creation. And by affirming when we say in the creed that God is the maker of heaven and earth, we are acknowledging that there is a creator and there is a distinction between the one who makes and what he has made. The creator-creation distinction. Some say the creator-creature uh, distinction. Uh, the creator-creation uh, distinction is basic to a biblical view of reality. And if you don't get this right, so much of Scripture, so much of covenant theology doesn't make sense. Years ago, I became familiar with a ministry entitled, with, the, uh, with the name Truth Exchange, uh, headed by Peter Jones, uh, a British man from Liverpool, England, went to school with the Beatles, of all things, and he ended up 
being a professor in a Reformed theology in France and then moving over to the United States and serving at Westminster Seminary, California. And his ministry now is, is bringing historic Orthodox Christianity to bear against modern New Age neo-paganism. And, and here are some things that I've learned from this ministry, Truth Exchange. And Jones says this, that the world is at war. Beyond the, behind the pleasantries of civil society lies a battle for the allegiance of every man and woman. There is a war between two rival, though unequal, kingdoms. There are two camps, those who worship and serve the creature, the creation, and those who worship and serve the creator. And he gets this from Romans chapter 1. And he's come up with something that I find at first was, did not make sense, but now it makes a lot of sense, and it's very helpful. And he's getting this from Romans chapter 1. And he calls it oneism and twoism. And oneism is this, all is one. We worship and serve creation as divine. All distinctions must be eliminated, and then through enlightenment, we discover that we also are divine. Think about it for a moment. Oneism. You can put Hinduism and Buddhism and other Eastern religions in there. You can, you can put so much of where Western thought is now in that we and creation and we and the Creator are all one. But he distinguishes that with twoism. Twoism is this, all is two. We worship and serve the eternal personal creator of all things. God alone is divine and distinct from his creation. Yet through his son, Jesus Christ, he's in loving communion with it. And finally, Dr. Jones says this, quote, Whether spirituality comes from the inside or the outside makes a huge difference in everything we do and think. Are we alone in this vast impersonal cosmos making our own rules, evolving, we hope, for the good of all? Or are we part of a vast, intelligently made universe that is the work of a personal, distinct, and glorious creator who has reached down in the redeeming love of Jesus to rescue us from ourselves? So Jones is arguing, and I believe he is right on target with Romans 1, is that there are really two religions. There's the true religion, the God-ordained religion of the creature worshiping the creator, and there's everything else where the creation worships the creation. And if, and if there is a creator, we kind of did it ourselves or it just came into being somehow. Now, there are distinctions out there that don't make a difference, but this distinction between the creator and the creation makes a huge, life-altering, destiny-determining difference. The recognition of this distinction between the creator and the creation is, a, is of huge practical importance when it comes to our understanding of God, the world, and ourselves. And if those of you that are taking notes, the rest of it is God, the world, and ourselves. So, 
First, the creator-creation distinction helps us understand who God is. Those of you familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I hope you are and are becoming more familiar with it, it's found at the back of the Trinity hymnal. Question and answer four, or question four is this, what is God? What is God? A great question to ask, right? I've often wondered, why didn't they say, who is God? But the question is, what is God? And the Westminster divines, these theologians and pastors that gathered in London for several years to work out of a theology, a biblical uh, systematic theology, they were struggling with, how do you answer this question? What is God? And the story is told from the minutes of the meeting that they were really struggling. They were sort of fighting about how to define God. And the story is told that one of the presbyter, one of the Westminster divines, a man by the name of George Gillespie, just said, gentlemen, we need to pray. And this is what he said. Oh God, who is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Well, guess what? His prayer became the foundation of this answer. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And what we begin to see from an answer like this is God is independent of creation. God relates to his creation as the author relates to a book, as an architect relates to the design, and as a builder relates to the building. God does not depend on us as we depend on him. God does not exist by our will and for our pleasure. We read in Genesis 1 that God made us male and female in his image. But don't we sometimes think that we made God in our image? It's interesting, I was doing some research and I came across this quote from the French writer, thinker, philosopher of the 18th century, Voltaire. And it's reported that Voltaire said this, and by the way, Voltaire was anti-Christian. He, he, he attacked the church. He attacked the supernatural aspect that's at the center of our faith. And he said this, In the beginning God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. Well, Voltaire was on to something. He was observing, yes, mankind is projecting upon God whatever mankind wants. And he helped do that as well, as he wasn't willing to receive what God had revealed himself to be. So God is independent of creation. And to stick with another I word, God is incomprehensible to us. And I don't mean by saying that that he makes no sense, but rather he exceeds our grasp. It was interesting, we had a good discussion in our Sunday school class this morning, and in terms of suffering, we can only go so far to understand the purpose and the plan. It's mysterious. 
Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here, in Isaiah, the Lord is distinguishing Himself as Creator from the creation. But God is, of course, knowable. Even though He's at times incomprehensible, He's knowable. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, we read, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Yes, there is a hidden aspect to God, but there is a revealed aspect to God as well. And as we saw in Romans 1, God has made Himself plain. And people have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. They have, they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Genesis 1 and 2 are clear. It is a creation ex nihilo or out of nothing. God is not a sculptor, as it were, just sculpting clay. He makes things out of nothing. And we see that echoed as well in one of Paul's letters when he refers to God bringing light out of darkness in the same manner that he brings someone to faith in Christ. And indeed, it is faith because as we read in Hebrews, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It really is an article of faith. It makes sense. The Apostles' Creed is a confession of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So we must learn to be self-critical and therefore humble in our thinking about God. We are to embrace what He has revealed about Himself. And He has revealed enough for us to know that He is the maker. And we are among those things made. But not only does the creator-creature distinction help us better understand who God is, this distinction help us, helps us understand what the world is as well. And I just want to make a few comments. The world is good as created. Remember the refrain, God spoke, this happened, it is good. God spoke, this happened, He did this, it is good. It is good, it is good. The material world was created by God and it is good to be sure there has been the fall into the sin which has corrupted everything. But fundamentally, at the beginning, by design, it is good. And Paul, the Apostle Paul in his letters will affirm that as well. So the world as created is good. And the world has an owner, God. God owns the world. It's, it's, it's His world. Therefore, we must not despise it or depreciate it. Children, you know what happens when you make something, right? When you make something and your little brother or sister takes it, how do you feel? Right? Or do you immediately make it and share it? Well, I think most of us make it to keep it. And when it's taken from us, we're not pleased. Because God makes the world, He owns the world. But the world also 
has a caretaker. God is the owner, but he has a caretaker, a steward. And of course, that is us. We do not own the world, but we live in the world and we use the world. We are answerable to God, the maker, the owner, for the way we take care of the world and handle its resources. We serve God by using and enjoying temporal things gratefully with a sense of their value to Him, their Maker, and of His generosity in giving them to us. How many of you all had breakfast this morning? Yes. Did you make it yourself? Did you create it from scratch out of nothing? No, you were provided for it. How many of you all made out of nothing your own clothes this morning? How many of you all built your own house? This is God's world. He's the owner. He's the provider. We use, and by God's grace, don't abuse what He has made. So this creator-creature distinction helps us more accurately understand God and His world and also who we are. It makes sense, right? I think it's Calvin in the Institute says, if you start with God, you'll get to man. If you start with man, you'll get to God. Here are a few things that this distinction that we see addressed in Romans 1, how it applies. Um, first of all, we are created. goes without saying, but it needs to be said. We are created. And as such, we are limited. We are finite. We have to sleep at night to, to uh, get our energy back and rest. God, as we read, neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always alert, always taking care. We are created. And if you would, turn with me to Psalm 100, because we're going to be there just for the next couple of minutes. Psalm 100, right in the middle. We see this. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. Think about all the times you've said that as a call to worship, as, as you've memorized it. Right in the middle, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. In other words, we are created. But you know what? Not only that is we are accountable. We are answerable to God. The, the verse continues, and we are His. He made us, and we are His. Because man is not his own maker, he may not think of himself as his own master. And yet, is that not what we think? We think we're self-made and therefore self-ruling. But know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. So we are created, we are accountable, and as Stan rightly prayed a few minutes ago, we are loved. We are loved. Psalm 100 verse 3 continues, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We are created, we are accountable, and we are loved. Some of you may be familiar with one of the Western uh, early church fathers, Augustine, who speaks of our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. But you may not be familiar with how it begins. 
God has made us for Himself. God has made us for Himself. We are created, we are accountable, and we are loved. And so we've seen that this creator-creation distinction serves to help us understand God, the world, and ourselves. Well, when we confess, as we will in just a couple of minutes, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, When we confess that, a few things happen. First, we are humbled. We are put in our place. We are not the maker. We're not in the driver's seat. We're not the owner. We're put in our place. We are humbled. Have you thought about that? That this great confession of the historic church serves to keep us humble. And remember, friends, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. So we are humbled when we confess that God is maker of heaven and earth. We are also better prepared to understand the new creation in Jesus Christ because we will go on in the confession to see that God is the maker, as it were, of the new heavens and the new earth through the new creation in Christ 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Get it? A A Christian is not now a creator or a maker. No, a Christian is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in our study of Galatians, in chapter 6, we heard these words, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. You see, God is both the creator, as in the first part of the Apostles' Creed, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the creator. He's the author of our salvation in Christ. So we're humbled and we're better prepared to understand what's coming, the new creation in Jesus Christ. And finally, we know that we are not our own. But we belong body and soul in life and death, not only to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ as we confess regularly from the question and answer number one from the Heidelberg Catechism. But we also know that we belong to Almighty God, our Father, the Maker of heaven and earth, the awesome and Almighty Father, the Maker of heaven and earth. Well, I want us to end where we begin, began with this, these simple question and answers. Simple, right? Children, how long did it take you to memorize this? Like five minutes? We may be able to memorize this in five minutes, but it takes a lifetime to live out the good news that we are not our own. We have been made and we have been remade in Christ. So all together, all of you gathered together, let's answer these questions. Again, these questions and these answers are swimming upstream in a world that believes that man is his own maker. 
or man just somehow came into being? Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. And why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, probably for all of us here, the words that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, they have probably gone from our lips to the air without any thought in our minds or any affection in our hearts. Oh God, would you have mercy on us and enable us going forward to see the beauty and the blessing of this confession that you are the maker of heaven and earth. Oh, Father, it indeed keeps us humble. It helps prepare us to grow in our understanding of the new creation in Christ. And Father, we joyfully acknowledge that knowing that you are our maker, what an encouragement to know that we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and to Almighty God, our Father, maker of heaven and earth. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We as creation.